0: Something about coming to church and being in God's presence uh, just has a tendency to do something for us, lift us up, and kind of get us back on the right track. So uh, good to feel the presence of God this morning, amen? Amen. I hope that you felt a little something during that worship time. That's what it's all about. Worship is designed not just to uh, um, showcase the talents of our worship team, Uh, worship is designed to kind of plow up the ground of our heart and get it ready for the seed. So we hope that you're ready uh, to receive the word this morning. So if you can, if you want to, you can go ahead and turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 12. It's probably going to be my first verse I'll go to here before too long. Deuteronomy chapter 12. That'll give you a little bit of a head start. Uh, before I jump in this morning, just want to kind of reiterate a little bit uh, what I talked about last week um, that... Um, About four four churches here in town, ourselves, Westside, First Baptist, and First General Baptist, uh, me, David Lovin, Joel Hines, and Scott Williamson have got together over the past, well, this past year in preparation for this coming year as we look into 2020 this is going to be year 2020 and when we think about 2020 we have a tendency to automatically think about vision if somebody has 2020 vision they have clear vision and so we're just kind of playing off just kind of playing off that i guess a little bit of play on words but what would be what would be our vision um not only as crossway fellowship church but as a community but more specifically what would god's vision be for this coming year for his church not just this church but his church as a whole and i believe that god's vision is very clear when we look to the to the word of god Uh, god's vision is number one first and foremost that his church would go out into all the world and preach the gospel amen we call it the great commission jesus's mission uh, for the church was very, very clear, go out and win souls for the kingdom. Amen? And included in that vision was uh, that God has for his church would be the unity among his church. Amen? That churches aren't in competition trying to just, you know, get more people and, and steal from one another, but that we're all together, uh, uh, we're all together God's servants and we're here to do a, a one thing together, and that's to reach souls for the kingdom of God. Amen. So I just pray God's blessings on West Side. I pray God's blessings on First Baptist, First General Baptist. Oh, uh, Doc Hamby down in Andorra has been getting in on on some of our meetings. So I just pray God. Just I hope their churches overflow. Don't you? I hope that they just have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and people get saved left and right. Uh, And so, and and not only those churches, but all the churches in town. I want to see God's kingdom grow, don't you? That's what it was always designed to do. Jesus gave parables about the seed and so on and so forth. The kingdom of God was designed to grow. And so, therefore, uh, that's what this is all about. So, we've got together and put together, uh, rather than focusing on things that we disagree about, little doctrinal Points and teachings and church traditions that have popped up over the past 2,000 years that everybody wants to argue about Uh, We're we're just we're putting them in the trash bin where they belong and trying to focus on the main Doctrinal points. What does it really mean? What do you got to believe to be a Christian those things that we as Christians? Agree on and what if all of us at least the, the four these four churches in town were all preaching the same thing at the same time and we were pumping this doctrine into our people. Amen Reminders. Here's what really is important. We talked about last week, I referred to it as being an inoculation, right? Inoculating our people with truth because that's the only thing that saves us from deception. Amen? What we believe matters. and It's important that we understand what we believe, but it's even more important that we understand why we believe what we believe. If we don't know why, I'm going to repeat this, and I may say this the next couple weeks during this series, if we don't know why we believe what we believe, then what we believe isn't worth believing. Amen. You can believe anything about anything that don't make it true. We have to know why we believe what we believe. That's so very important. And so last week, this is kind of a little bit of a part two, I guess you might say, kind of, sort of. Last week, we talked about the Bible. Uh, Matt did a good job helping me, and we looked at it from the standpoint of, okay, how do I know that my Bible is reliable? How do I know my Bible is true? And we looked at all kinds of different proofs, things you can put your fingers on, historical proofs, scientific proofs, archaeological proofs, uh, prophetic proofs. We talked about those, those prophecies in Scripture that have been fulfilled, that have come to pass. Um, one of them I think I failed to mention last week, by the way, uh, was the prophecy that Jesus gave concerning the temple. You know, Jesus, if you imagine this beautiful Jewish temple in Jerusalem, and it sat on, it had its own spot. That's where it was supposed to be. Gorgeous temple. And Jesus made the declaration that one day not one stone would be standing on the other one. In other words, that temple that everybody cherished, that they thought literally nobody's ever going to be able to take this temple down, Jesus said one day it's going to be completely leveled. And And about, what was it, probably both less than 40 years later, in 70 A.D., that's exactly what happened. That temple was destroyed, and and you go there today. There's not one stone. So those those scriptural we find time and time again, year after year, generation after generation, we find that God's word is faithful, true, and reliable to all those who believe in it. If the word of God has ever been reliable and faithful in your personal life, could you give me a big shout of Amen this morning? Amen. All right. So we we talked about we. How do I know it's reliable? And we give all kinds of reasons as to why, not to mention just the Spirit of God that opens the Word to us and reveals to us that it is true. So, so now that, so the title of my message this morning is basically this, now that I know my Bible's reliable, so what? Okay? Well, what now? What do I got to do with it? Because I would, I would propose this morning that when we come to the conclusion that, okay, this book is reliable, that probably I need to do something about it. Right? And there's got to be a purpose in it. What does it mean to me personally? These scriptures, things that have been written 2,000 years ago, does that mean it only applied to them 2,000 years ago? No, it means that there are timeless principles and teachings in the Word of God that applies to every human being in every generation. Amen? So, what does it mean to me? How do I apply it? Because if I don't apply it personally, then it doesn't matter that it's true. Does that make sense? Doesn't matter that the Bible is true and reliable if I don't apply it to my own life. I can't apply it to my own life if I don't know what it says. Is that true? Amen? So it's kind of like I put it, let me put it to you like this. Now that I know it's illegal to poach a deer, do I obey the law and just hunt during the season when everybody else does? Or do I grab my spotlight and head for the dirt roads? Or I have a decision to make. Now that I know, because I mean you can claim, you can claim ignorance to a certain point, game warden. Come out there, and you got a deer in your back, and I, did, I didn't know. Well, that only goes so far. Because what he's going to say ultimately is, well, you can't really plead ignorance because the law has been written. There's a source. You can get, you know, when you buy your tag, you open the, the book, right? And it tells you in there, it gives you the hunting law. So you really can't say, I didn't know. It was there. It was available. But even if you'd never read that law, you can say, oh, I didn't know. But once you read the law, then you're without excuse, Right? But even, even though you say, well, I didn't know I didn't, know, that applies to everybody but me. And I'm not knocking anybody that's been poaching and road. I've done it too. A long time ago. A long time ago. We've got some highway patrol in here. I probably shouldn't have said that. Was, Jeff, you didn't bring your handcuffs with you today, did you? They're in the truck, okay. Uh, I forget I'm on, on video. You know, that's the main thing in a, in a cop sting op- operation is get somebody on tape confessing to a crime. And I just uh, confess to the world. But I've done it. I have. I've done it. I, but. Um, but I don't now because I realize that the law applies to me same as it applies to everybody else. And I can convince myself the law doesn't apply to me and that there's reasons, I have justifiable reasons for breaking the law, but the cop or the warden that pulls me over is not gonna see it my way, right? He's gonna see it one way and that's the way the law is because it doesn't matter what my opinion is, the law is the law and it doesn't change. There's a reason for that. That keeps the world around us safe, right? So the same kind of somewhat applies when it comes to the word of God. Now that I know my Bible is reliable, do I accept it as the authority in my life and live by it? Or do I just ignore it and just kind of do what I think is right? And That's the way a lot of people live. They just do what they think is right. And there's a, there's a huge problem with that. We talked last week about the authority. That's what this is about, the, the authority of God's word. With no authority, you, you're left with chaos. There's got to be an authority that everybody, I mean everybody, uses as that core source of authority. Without that, everybody just does what they feel is right. And anybody can, and that can be anything. Hitler thought what he was doing was right. You understand? When you have your own rules and your own, you can make anything right in your own mind, but that don't make it right. It's okay, so in Deuteronomy here, what we find is warnings in God's word about just doing things our own way and forsaking and ignoring the right way, God's way, his word. So in Deuteronomy 128 and 9, God says, you shall not do according to all that we're doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. So what we find in the scripture is a connection between rest and being obedient to God's word. Okay, When we think about rest, we think about the opposite of strife, the opposite of chaos, the opposite of stress and anxiety. When you're at rest, it means that you're calm. You're satisfied. You're not worried about anything. You're not trying to hide anything. You're at rest. And so we find a connection that where there is the word of God, there is rest. And when there is not the word of God, and we're left to do whatever we we feel is right, we are left with unrest. Okay, We'll talk about that just a little bit more in a minute. But in Judges chapter 17 verse 6 it says this, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now you don't have to read too far into the book of Judges to find out that that didn't work out too well for them. You read through the book of Judges and you see what happens to a society when everybody just does what's right in their own eyes. There's not a solid law. Now, they had the law of God. They had the law of Moses, but they were ignoring that. But there wasn't a rule, a law, one authority that everybody answered to. Everybody just kind of did what was right in their own eyes, and it was chaotic. And it just it, it just it took the nation into the toilet, Right? Proverbs 21 and 2 warns this every way of a man is right in his own eyes but the Lord weighs the heart all the ways of a man are right in his own eyes and all the women said amen right we we always think what we think is right and we could be completely convinced of that have all kinds of reasons to justify it but God's word is ultimately all that matters I convince myself I'm right, and I might even convince you I'm right. But God looks at it and says, "No, you're still wrong." Right? I like the word of God. says Let 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 God be true, and all men a liar. It means if I disagree with God, I'm wrong. There's your deep theological thought for the day. If I disagree with God's word, I'm wrong. Does it apply to everybody but me? No, it applies to the entirety of the world. I can convince myself that God's word doesn't apply to me and I don't need it, but that doesn't change the fact that I desperately need it. The game warden doesn't look at me as a good old boy anymore. He looks at me as a lawbreaker. And good old boys need Jesus too, amen? Good old boys answer to the same moral conduct law that the rest of us do. And Jesus looks at us and sees lawbreakers. It's necessary that there be one law for everyone. That just makes sense. It just makes, I mean, look at it from a logic t- step away from the religious aspect for just a minute. It just makes sense that everybody should abide by the same law. Otherwise, there's no right or wrong. Isn't that true? If, if everybody doesn't obey the same authority, then there is no right or wrong. You can make it up. You can make, again, back to Hitler. He thought what he was doing was right. I think most of us in this room, I hope all of us in this room, would, would determine that what Hitler did was wrong, but he thought he was right. So you do away with that one authority. There's no right, there's no wrong. We, we, we live in a, you know, a country. When you, go take a, when you take the stand at court and they hold up a Bible, I guess they still do that depends on where you live probably hold up a bible and you put your hand on it and they say do you promise to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you god you're swearing on the bible when you swear by something like that you you have you're swearing by something that you acknowledge is greater than you but the bible says that god when he swears to us he can't there is no greater than him he has to swear by himself because there is no greater than God. And so when we lay our hand on the Bible, we are swearing, we are acknowledging the Bible is the authority, and the God who wrote it is our authority. We're swearing by something that's greater than we are. So if we, if we don't swear on the Bible, then what do we swear on? What is there, if we don't have one authority, that, that over that umbrella is the entire human race, what is it that we swear on? Our own word? That's not very reliable. We change our minds too much. Our word can be corrupted. Our word word can be altered. What do do we swear on? Government? Government is is a authority over us, but they're not the highest authority. How reliable is government? Watch the news for about 30 seconds. Government's not reliable. We swear by government that their authority not not ultimate authority because their word can be corrupted it can be altered we we lay our hand on a bible because we're saying the word of god this is god's word he is our authority how hypocritical is our nation right in which we swear on the bible we acknowledge its authority but we deny its teachings those same courtrooms, they put a Bible out there, do you swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but truth, so help you God, and we acknowledge the authority of it. And then those same courts will pass laws to, for, in favor of same-sex marriage or abortion or legalized marijuana. All of these laws that are passed day after day after day that, that literally the Word of God would disagree with. So we put our hand on the Bible, that's my authority, but we deny its teaching. And we can rail on the Supreme Court, the court systems, and some that like, uh, you know, Jeff, so I said, do they still use it? Nah, they're not even, they don't even want to use the Bible anymore, right? Because if I can do away with God as my authority, then I become my own authority, and I can do what's right in my own eyes. But that always has been chaotic to a society. It's always been chaotic to a society, and it still would be today. We need the Word of God to be our authority if I know that it's reliable, so what? What does that mean to me? It means that I should bring myself under its authority. And that means nothing to me if I don't know what it says. We, every, every speech by every politician I've ever heard always ends their speech with what? God bless the United States of America, right? God bless America. And that phrase has its lost a lot of its Meaning, over the years, God bless America. Here's just a plain old simple fact. And this applies to our nation, a church, a family, an individual. We can't have, we can't have God's blessings without heeding God's word. We just can't. It doesn't work that way. God, all of God's blessings flows through his word. So as long as a nation is truly... Living by the content that is in this book as long as the nation is using the word of God as its authority Then we will have the blessings of God and we have for 100, 200 years But as soon as the as soon as the country or the family or the church or the individual No longer comes under the authority of God's word. We can still ask for his blessings, but we will not receive them We can't say God bless me, but I don't want to do what you want me to do How many of you would do that for your kids? Your kid comes you and you say, well, dad, from now on, I mean, I'm not doing any more chores. I'm not, I'm not cleaning my room. I'm not taking out the trash. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do any of this stuff, but Lord, I still want you to give me money. I still want you to give me what I want. What are you going to say to your kid? Yeah, good luck to you in life. You know what I mean? We'll see, see how that works out for you. We don't do that, and God doesn't either. The only way to have God's blessings is to heed God's word. Now, 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verses 12 through 17 says this. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. We see a little bit of that in our world today. People going from bad to worse. I wonder what the connection to that is in people's interest in God's Word. When we eliminate God's Word, people go from bad to worse. Amen? If you or I... If I shy away from God's word, I go from bad to worse. I need the word of God to be my compass. If I don't have it, I'm a human being just like you. And I I will go astray. I'll think wrong. I've got to have the word of God as my compass. Otherwise, I go from bad to worse. That's why our society is going from bad to worse because we've gotten off the compass. We've, We've rejected God's word. And it leaves us open for deception. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believe. This is Paul writing to, to Timothy, a young, young Christian, a young preacher. Hold to what you believe, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from the chi- and from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What do you think he's talking about when he's referring to those sacred writings? Bible he's not necessarily talking about the same exact one you because he's right He's literally writing it as he goes But he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures the scriptures that they had at that point Ultimately what we pull from this is from the Word of God the scriptures the Bible You know it Timothy. You've read it. You've been taught it. It's in you. Whatever you do, don't stray from it. You know the sacred writings, and they're able to make you wise for salvation. It is the only way to be saved. This is literally the most important thing in the universe. You think about it. Your Bible is literally the most important thing that you own, that you have in your possession. It is is what brings us to salvation and only this. Your million-dollar bank account is not as valuable as your Bible. All scripture, he goes on to say, is breathed out by God. As God later, it it talks about how God moves upon holy men of old that wrote the scriptures. But it is God-breathed. It's not just a book, holy book. It, it's God's word breathed from his heart to ours. Breathed out by God. And look, what the, look at this. <clears throat> what, what is the Bible? It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every, what kind of work? Good work. What is the, what is the Bible? He said, the Bible is profitable. It's profitable. What does it mean when something is profitable? It means it's beneficial. It's useful. It yields gain. If I I take $10,000 and invest it in a stock, and then I sell that stock and I get $15,000 back, I made a $5,000 profit. That stock was profitable. It added to me. I gained something by investing in that stock. He says the word of God is profitable. It will add to your life. It is useful to you and I in our life. Literally, the word of God, profitable for what? For reproof, for correction. That's why a lot of us ignore it because it, 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 it's kind of like, it, like being in the dark and you really would like to have a light on and then somebody shines a spotlight right in your eyes. You know, you're glad for the light, but you're kind of like, Right? It, it, and that's the way the word of God kind of works. We, we know we need God and we need direction. And we know deep down that we, we need correction. We need God to show us what we're doing wrong. But then when we look into the word and we see it, we see ourselves compared to God's word, we're always going to come up short. I promise you that. We see ourselves, oh, I'm doing this and the word of God says not to do that. And it can be kind of like that spotlight. We're like, this is uncomfortable. But we realize that it's profitable for me. It's doing me some good. It's guiding me. It's it's shaping me. The word of God is changing me. So what we find is that the Bible is a gift. This this is not just one big huge demand by an angry God in the cosmos. That that the Bible is a gift that God gave to mankind. to, To be useful. To be profitable. That we might gain and it might add to our life. God's Word gives us many things, many benefits. But let me just tell you about a couple. Number one, the Word of God is a way of knowing Him. It's a way that we come to know God. We discover God's heart in the Bible. We find out that God is not this angry God that throws light. All these, Matt talking about the polytheistic, all of these people, groups that, that worship many, many, many gods. And they, they're always terrified trying to appease the gods so they don't get struck down with some disease or something. That's the nature of man. When we think of God, it's like, oh, I've got to make you. But what we find through the Bible is that that's not the nature of God at all. We find out through the Bible that God's heart is a heart of love. That he loves us and he's patient with us through our sufferings and through our failures. We find out who God is through the word. God, That's God's gift to us. I want you to know me, God says. Tells us where we came from. Where we're at now. Where we're going. It's what the Bible does for us. See, without it, then I might be tempted to believe that I came out of that little pool of scum that some lightning bolt hit billions and billions of years ago that Matt was talking about. Without the word, I don't know where I came from. I'm left to figure it out on my own. Or some doofus that tells me I came from a monkey. A fish and then a monkey and so on and so forth. I don't know where I came from without the word of God. I don't know where I'm at now. I don't know what my purpose in living every day is without it. And I, I definitely don't know where I'm going. These people that say, well, you came from the pool of scum. You'll just go right back to that. As soon as life's over, it's over. You, just, you, you live, you die, it's over. There's nothing. I mean, well, good Lord, there's, there's no point. In, what, what, I mean, how horrible is that? To have no future? I don't believe that. I believe I'm here by a design purpose. I believe that a God who loved me that is way smarter and beyond anything I can fully understand I believe that he created me I believe that I came from him and I believe that today and every day of my life in him I live and move and have my being every day he is guiding me as to where I am right now and I believe that he's taking me somewhere I believe that through God's Word, He has shown us all that one day this old, nasty, sinful life will be over and that God will take His faithful to be with Him for eternity. I believe that. We're going somewhere. The Bible teaches me that. Hallelujah. What if the entire entire world lived by the Bible? Can you think about how different The world would be around us. What a gift. That rest we were talking about a minute ago. The entire earth would be, if every human being, now think about this, this I know this takes our imagination, but think about it. If every single human being on the planet would believe this book to be God's authority, be God's word and their authority and live by it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? Love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. What if every human on the planet lived by this book? You talk about rest. The entire earth would be at rest. Jeff Cunningham would have to get him another job. There'd be no need, really, not much need for law enforcement. Everybody's already living by God's word. Nobody's breaking the law. He could take a great big long vacation, right? Get kittens down out of a tree or something like that. I don't know. No need for jails, prisons, courthouses. Hospitals would you know, they'd still, they'd get pretty bored because I, I imagine that the biggest part of what they get come in is something that somebody's done to somebody else. Somebody shot somebody. and Imagine how different the world, everything that is negative about this world, everything that makes this world yucky would be gone if the whole world lived by this book. Isn't that something? It's that important, yet we cast it aside, right? Oh, but it doesn't apply to me. I'm, I'm still a pretty good person, blah, 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 blah. One of the gifts that God has given us in this word, by giving us this word, is wisdom for everyday living. Every aspect of your life, we attain wisdom through the word of God. Especially Proverbs. You read, do you know there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs? How many days of the month are there typically? 31, 30, 31. There's literally a chapter of Proverbs for every day of the month. I would encourage you to read Read that's what I've been doing I read on the first day of the month I read Proverbs 1 on the second day of the month I read Proverbs 2 Proverbs these chapters are short you know I mean it takes me forever to read through something because I read and reread and then I overthink and then I stop thinking and you know so so I guess it takes me a little while to get through some but I can read I can read one of those chapters in 10 minutes somebody that can just read read open a read you can read a book you can read a chapter of Proverbs in about three or four minutes and the wisdom that you find in all the word of God but specifically Proverbs is what is called the book of wisdom. We find we find advice and counsel in God's word for the most the most major decision making the most decisions the most important decisions that we have to make in life. There are excuse me. There's wisdom for decisions that we make regarding child rearing, What we find the key to child rearing is found in the child's rearing. That's what we find. Decisions on marriage, money management, career paths, settling disputes. We're not supposed to run out to the courts and sue everybody every time somebody spits in your lawn, right? there's, There's... decision. God said, here, I'm going to give you this word because I know there's going to be times where you have disputes, but let me show you how to settle it in a peaceful way, right? I, there's, there's things in there about our physical health. I mean, go on and on and on. The word of God is a gift from God. The only reason, honestly, now this is, this is just a true fact. I think anybody can surely agree with this, even if you find yourself in that category. The only reason to ignore God's word." Um, is hardness of heart. I mean, you just have to not want it, to ignore it. Um, I think we could all be a little more hungry for it. I mean, obviously you're all hungry for the word of God or you wouldn't be here today. And I commend you for that. And I know for me, I, I study it quite frequently and I prepare sermons, get ready, but I know even me, I could be more hungry for it. I've been praying, God just... Stir up, let me crave your word like I crave fried chicken. You know, what I mean, like I crave lemon meringue pie. Roast and potatoes. We have some of that in the refrigerator at home, don't we? That's what we're having for lunch. Roast and potatoes and carrots. I'm craving that. And the more I talk about it, I'm craving it even more. I'm hungry. I didn't realize how hungry I was, so I started talking about what we're having for lunch. I crave that. Sounds good. And as soon as I get the last one of y'all kicked out of here, I'm going to go home and eat that, right? What if I craved God's word that way? What if I thought about it and I couldn't bring myself to ignore it? We only ignore it because our, our heart becomes hard. We need it. The, the absence, Psalm 118 or 119.05, excuse me, Psalm 119.105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word, God, this Bible is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Not a whole, you can understand that analogy, right? If you're walking out through the dark, you turn a flashlight on for that very purpose. Without a flashlight, you stumble over things that you didn't know were there. You turn on a light, it shows you things to avoid. Don't, there's a log there, step over that. It, it exposes, it shows, that's, what the way to, that's the way the word of God works. Every day, you're, you're heading out to walk into the dark. Satan uh, to attack and to confuse and to deceive in every aspect and all kinds of stumbling blocks. But as we walk and somebody, somebody comes and says something to me, and maybe they're, maybe they're harsh towards me, or maybe they're, they're, they're saying mean, nasty things to me, and my, my temptation would be to just backhand them or something. But, but the word of God shines a light and says, no, that's just a tactic of the enemy. Turn the other cheek. Pray for your enemies. Love those who despitefully use you and persecute you. The word of God is a lamp to our feet so that we don't stumble. That's a gift. The absence of light is what? Darkness. Take away the light, you're left with nothing but darkness. If it was nighttime and there were no, no sunlight coming to this place, we turn all the lights off, it would be pitch black. No light, you have darkness. So, let's think about what happens when we take, take this light out of the equation. Okay, so, I've heard, I've heard older folks talk a lot about when they were young, when they were in school, and that the teacher would keep a Bible on her desk and that they would literally read. You know, this is days, days in the you know, one-room school house many, many, many years ago. And, the, and that part of their reading lesson would come from the Bible. The light was in school. The word was in school. And so they, they opened and they read from, from that. And, and during that period of time, the, the worst... Things that the teachers really had to, that they really faced was, you know, kids chewing gum in class, and you know, cut, maybe cutting school, cutting class every now and again. I mean, we look back; it really wasn't a ton going on. But in, in a day today, where it's illegal to read scripture in school, now the worst things that we have to worry about is drug abuse, mass shootings. Is that a coincidence? I don't, know how, I don't know how it could be a coincidence at all. Thank God for, thank God for the teachers, the Christian teachers who are taking the word of God and taking the light into the darkness. Praise God. We need that so desperately. But I'm talking overall as a society, how much emphasis are we placing on the word of God? When we start taking away the light, guess what takes over? The darkness, it's really, it's common sense really. There's a, there's a huge, high, there's a high cost to not bowing to the word of God, not allowing it to have its work in our life. And seen immediately in this life, which I've just described, but more importantly, the effects that we see by rejecting God's word, um, the most detrimental effects are gonna be found in the next life. Amen, eternal life. Um, when this life is over, there is an eternal consequence to rejecting God's word. Um, I want you to turn with me into Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Now, this is a picture. Boy, p- get this in your brain. Picture this as I read this. This is this is the, the coming of Jesus. I mean, this is reckoning day, all right? This is the day that, God sets everything right, okay? Now picture this in, in your mind as we read this. Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and make war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and to name and the name which he is called is the word of god In first john we find where the bible says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god right it was it was the word of god that started this entire universe right uh what, what was upon the face of the deep in the very beginning darkness right The earth was without form and void, and there was darkness on the face of the deep. But God said his word, God's word, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And guess what happened to the darkness? It fled. And from that moment forward, God's word has still continued to drive away the darkness. Amen? God's word has driven away darkness in lands, in countries, in nations, in governments, and it has driven away darkness in the lives of individuals since day one. And in the end, it will be God's word that brings it all up and wraps it, amen? Jesus, on this white horse, he being the word of God, coming back, and look what happens here. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, We're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Hebrews says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God, it cuts, it destroys that which is dark, that which is evil. Jesus coming, being the word of God, the sword coming out of his mouth, which is his word, and that sword that comes out to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the Almighty God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you go down, down through there and you see this, this great battle that is about to take place. We, we, we know, refer to it a lot as, as the Battle of Armageddon. If you go on down into verse number 20, the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in, in its presence had done signs and wonders. He deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. I missed a a verse. Uh, Yeah, verse 19. I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse. Gathered to make war with the word of God. Right? To make war with Jesus. And what we find when we get down to the end, that they're all thrown alive in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. That the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. All those that opposed God, all those that rejected God, it was the word of God that destroyed them. The word of God will either give us life or it will tear us apart. Jesus said something like this, I I may butcher this, but he talked about himself being a stone. He said, those who fall on this stone shall be broken. Meaning, Their sin, their life, their bondages, they'll become broken and he mends and he heals. But he said on those who this stone falls will be crushed to powder. We can either cast ourselves onto the word of God and say, God, let your word heal me. Let your word save me. Let your word change me. Let your word guide me. Or I can ignore it and one day the word of God will fall on me like a stone. It's the word that judges in the end. Hallelujah. That's pretty important. I mean, that's too important to just throw on a dresser and ignore, isn't it? I mean, it, it's pretty important. If it's that important, what, a, what should I do with it? I think I, ought to, I think I ought to get as much of it in me as I can. I'm done. Philippians, well, not really. I just said it at first after I said I'm done, but I'm, I'm getting close to being done. Philippians... Uh, teaches us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody will confess that Jesus is the word of God and he is the authority. Now, when they confess that is the part that matters. So we will either confess it now by our own free will and say, God, I confess that you are Lord. I repent of my sins and I ask you to save me. That's how God wants us to confess him now in this life. But for those who don't confess Jesus as Lord in this life, from the pits of hell will confess him for all eternity. Those that stand, the Bible teaches you, going down through them a little bit further, talks about the great white throne judgment in which everybody stands before God and to those that God looks to and says, I never knew you. You, you didn't believe in my son. You rejected my word. I didn't know you, so depart from me worker of iniquity I never knew you and cast him out into outer darkness where his weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched I mean the, the word of God is very very descriptive the Bible is very very descriptive when it comes to hell and eternal judgment and that moment when God says depart from me all of those that hear those words depart from me at that moment they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord I believe in him now He is Lord. Lord Jesus, you are Lord. And at that moment, it's too late. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We either do it then or we do it now. My suggestion is do it now. Because if you bow to the word of God and you accept it as your authority and you repent of your sins, then now you got all of these blessings in this life that the word of God gives us, but then you stand before God and you hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done because you lived perfectly and now you're worthy to come to heaven. Not at all. Nobody would go to heaven if that was the case. But well done in that you heard my word and you believed. You heard my word and you submitted to its authority. Well done. Come on in. I've prepared a place for you. The writer of Hebrews, we've been studying on Wednesday nights, the writer of Hebrews is so good about making sure, he's he's trying to encourage these Christians who are very discouraged And thinking about bailing, really, uh, they're facing persecution, life's not going good, and they're just, they're in this iffy, and so he's compelling them, stick it out, stay in there, stay encouraged, and and he he wants them to follow Jesus, because Jesus is awesome. That's his tactic. Here's why you should follow Jesus, he's the high priest, he's greater than Moses, he's greater than the angels, he's greater than the law, Jesus is awesome, so you should serve him. He didn't want them to serve him just because if they don't, then they're going to face punishment later. He wanted them to serve him because Jesus is awesome. But he made sure they understood that if they do reject the word of God, the punishment awaits. It's not the reason we should come, but it's something we need to understand. Amen. I hope today that if you don't know Jesus as your savior, you'll confess him today that your knee will bow to him today, that you will respond to the word of God today. Not just to my sermon, but you'll respond to the word of God that is dealing with your heart right now and will confess to him because Jesus is awesome. How many of you out there that's been saved any enormous amount of time and you just found Jesus to be awesome, can you say amen? Amen. He's wonderful. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful, and my song will ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He's awesome. His word is awesome. Accept him today. Last verse, I promise, Peter 1. As you're thinking about in, in your heart, listen to this verse. 1 Peter 1, 22, Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and the abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and is its glory like a flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But look at here. The word of the Lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you so i contend this morning that same thing with you that the word of god this building it's brand new one day will be a heap of ash beautiful flowers you plant in the spring make a big just in a short period of time they just shrivel up everything in this world your money your bank account may be big now it may be little next year Everything in this world is temporary, but he said, God's word never fades away. It's forever. It makes sense to grab a hold of something that stays forever. This is the good news I have preached to you this morning. How will you respond to the good news? I hope you respond by receiving it this morning. Bow your heads with me today.